And, um, you know, I understand it, talking about Trinity, you know, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, okay, but you're just going to have to work with me for a little while because I think as we talk about the different facets of God's nature, we understand Him in different ways. For example, Jesus, I think we get Jesus, don't we? We understand Jesus because He was a human being and He walked on this earth like you and me walked on, the, on this earth. He got His feet dusty. He got into fights. He had interactions with other people. And so we can relate to Him because He was a human. He related to other people just like us. The Holy Spirit, mm, now we're starting to get a little bit more of a challenge because the Holy Spirit doesn't have a form that we can understand quite as easily and is described in various different ways. But we know the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. So we understand the, the feeling that we have. We understand the guidance that we get from the Holy Spirit. It's this internal voice and it comes in power. But the Father... That's a little bit harder to get your fingers stuck into. It's a little bit harder to understand what's the Father look like? What's the Father like? And uh, I think it's open to interpretation. And there's a, a whole bunch of different artists over the years that have tried their very best to describe visually. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a visual sort of a person. You know, I can read the book, that's so good. But when the movie comes out, now we're talking. Now I get it. I understand it. So artists have tried to describe God. He's... Um, Here's an artist's rendition of, of God. Um, God the Father, and he's, he's got an angel there by his side and some kind of ball. And he looks kind of stern, doesn't he? He looks very serious, and it's almost like he's saying to that little angel, how many times have I told you before, don't kick the ball inside when I'm having a talk with the big angels? You know, stand to one side, skedaddle, scoot. Let's have another look at um, someone's description. Okay, so here's another artist, and, and I do have their names there in Italian, and I've, I um, will get it wrong if I try and say it, but here's another rendition of, of God the Father, and he looks so serene, doesn't he? He looks almost removed, almost like he's got his head in the clouds. It's a free one. Okay, let's have a look at one more. Let's have a look at one more. We've got um, serious God. Really serious um, this is Michelangelo, I do know this one, and it's on the, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and he's creating the sun, as you can see, and it's obviously a really challenging task, because he's really giving it his all. Um, but look, picturing God, understanding God is a, is a challenge for us. He didn't walk on the earth in the, the same way that Jesus walked on the earth, um, and there's no sort of description of him per se in the Bible to really kind of get our head around and so, but I think it's really important that we try and get God the Father. We need to try and get Him. And this is why it's important. And as I find my notes, I will be able to describe this for you. How we think about God has an impact on how we think about ourselves. If you've got the right understanding of God the Father, then you're going to have a healthy understanding of you. And conversely, if you have a misunderstanding about the nature of God, your Father, you're going to think about yourself in a different way, maybe not in the right way. You know, if I think that God is judgmental and is harsh and is trying to keep me up to a high standard, I'm going to think about myself in a harsh way. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to try really hard to be good. And I'm going to push myself down. I'm going to be condemning maybe of myself sometimes. 
Not only that, not only does it affect the way we think about ourselves, but it affects the way that we think about other people. It's so interesting, isn't it, that the way I think about God affects how I think about me and ultimately affects the way that I think about other people. So again, using that, that example, if God is harsh and distant and He's far away from me, I'm going to think about other people like, well, if it's harsh and judgmental to me, then I'm going to be harsh and judgmental to you because you don't measure up to God's standards. And I think that I do, or I don't, and I'm really condemned because you seem to be awesome. Can you see how that affects? It's got this roll-on effect. That's why it's so important that we understand God the Father. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I think it's that word Father, to be honest. You know, we, we get Jesus, and we can even understand how, how kind and loving Jesus was. But then we can have this misunderstanding of Father, and so much of that stems back to the way that our relationship with our earthly Father if that wasn't so healthy, if that wasn't so good and so kind and so loving, we're going to have the, the wrong idea. And honestly, it would be great if we just thought with our heads, but we don't just think with our heads, we think with our hearts as well. And some of the history that we've gone through, that we've grown through, affects the way that we think about that word Father. So we're going to describe God the Father, and we're going to describe it and learn about it as the way, in the way that Various people through history in the Bible have had interactions with God the Father. You with me? So as we describe and learn about these variety of people and the way that they related to God, I think we're going to learn a little bit more about God the Father. So week number one, we're going to look at the characters Adam and Eve, the first humans that walked on the face of the earth. And I do have another artist's impression of Adam and Eve walking on the earth. And I just quickly, just a quick side note. This is, again is Michelangelo, and it looks like he's casting uh, Adam and Eve out of the garden. But just look at Adam's body language. It just, I love it. It's like, well, what am I going to do? My hands are tied. You gave me this woman, Eve, and she's messed it all up. And now look what we have to do. It's terrible, isn't it? Blame. They're playing the blame game already. So we're going to have a look at God's nature and the way that he related to Adam and Eve. The first thing that I want us to learn about Adam about God, sorry, God the Father, is that He's a creative God. He is so creative. Because He made you and me, He's got to be creative, right? You know, sometimes you look at a famous, you go to an art gallery and you see some amazing painting, but it's just abstract and strange. And you're looking at it going, is that, is that the leg? It's like you're completely baffled. And then the interview with the artist, and the artist says, look, this is my world. This is my reality. This is what I see. This is how I understand the world, and this is, deal with it. That's the artist's kind of perspective. But you know what? God is an artist too. He's the best artist going. And honestly, you've got to think about what was his reference point when he created you. What did he have to refer to? When he was thinking about you, all there was was out of darkness, right? That's all he had. Nothing except the contents of the inside of him. The inside of God was a reflection. When he created you, you are that reflection. You are that reflection of God's very nature. Isn't that amazing? Honestly, I want you guys just to think about that for a second. That God, when God made you, he saw that you were good. 
that you are wonderful in his eyes. He delighted when he created you. He saw that you were something special. God made you special. He made you unique. Those gifts that he gave to you, that uniqueness that he gave to you, that is good. That is special. That is wonderful. So often I think we cast it aside and we we don't understand the fact that he made you good. Let's make this official and read the word of God. Genesis chapter 1. God spoke and he said, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. A little further down he says, God created human beings. He created them godlike reflecting God's nature. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing that God made you special? You know, that, can be, that should be healing for some of you today. That God doesn't condemn you. He's got something for you. He created you special. He created you with a vision, with a dream, with something in mind which was good. I don't know what it is, but we don't like saying how awesome we are, do we? Certain cultures don't mind saying that about themselves. But us Aussies, I don't know, we just like to beat ourselves down a little bit. We don't like to declare that I'm awesome. But that's what God says about you. He says you're awesome. Is it our Protestant heritage because we don't believe that, you know, we just feel like we're so weighed down by the, the sin that we carry in our lives. We can't possibly be good. But God says that you're good and he loves you so, so dearly. I understand that we're broken. I understand that we're mixed up and messed up. I understand that we've got issues and we've got things to work through. But that doesn't stop the heart of God towards you saying, you're good, I love you, you're special. You know, it's like when you have a baby, and there's plenty of young parents in the room today. When you have a baby, they are so gorgeous and beautiful. And they start eating solids. Notice the transition that happens in those poos. And all of a sudden, the stench that comes out of those little babies, those cute little chubby cheeks, and they just, it's enough to make you gag, isn't it? It's so revolting. It's like that, but that doesn't stop you from wanting to love your own baby, does it? It doesn't stop you wanting to draw that one in. And to love that baby so dearly, I think that's like the heart of God for us. Here's another quick example. This is Jesus talking right now. And he says in Matthew 7, verse 11, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? The point I want to make out of that is Jesus is making the the connection for us. If you know how to be good to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to be good to you? That's the goodness that you guys got to get hold of. We got to get hold of that fact that God loves me and he's created me in his image. I'm made special. And you have my permission to say that I am awesome. You are awesome because God made you awesome. The second thing I want you to understand about the heart of God the Father is that He is generous. He is a generous God. You know, when He created Adam and Eve, He said these words about them, and we're back in Genesis 1 again. 
God blessed them and he said, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. That doesn't sound like a harsh God to me. That doesn't sound like a God who wants to watch over my shoulder and tell me when I'm doing it wrong and waggle his finger. That sounds to me like a God is generous and he wants to release me to go and do great things. And honestly, today God is saying that to you too. He's not holding you down. He doesn't want to hold you back. He wants to release you. He wants you to to go and prosper and fulfill the earth. He wants you to get out there and have some fun. I'll move on. God is also a relational God. He wants relationship with us. He wants, He desires relationship. When He made Adam and Eve, it was all about relationship. You know, there's a verse in Genesis where it says that God came walking in the cool of the evening in the garden. It was like part of His his daily ritual to have communion with Adam and Eve. God desires that relationship with us. He really does. Hebrews 2.10 says, God is the one who made all things, and all things are for His glory. He wanted to have many children share His glory. God is not a God that wants to be distant from us. He doesn't want to be separated from us. He wants to draw us in. He wants that relationship with you. Fourthly, God is love. God is love. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. Don't do it. Don't you do it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. It's harsh words. That's um, the message translation, by the way. That doesn't sound like a message about love to you, does it? But I want to present to you the idea of love has got to be stronger than just warm fuzzies. Love's got to be bigger than just that. And God laid out for them so deliberately some boundaries and consequences because He wanted to have and to keep that relationship. He wanted to love them so dearly. It's like, again, we're talking about our kids. The way that we relate to our kids. Now, I'm not proud of it, but sometimes I yell at my kids. Uh, so often the reason I'm yelling at them is because they're just about to knock something off the, the bench, right? They're just about to create mayhem. They're get, just about to injure themselves or somebody else. And so often that stop is all about the boundary. It's all about, I don't want you to get hurt. And I believe that that's God's heart for us. That's what love is. It's so strong. It's about building boundaries so that we don't hurt ourselves. However, things turned out differently, didn't they? What happens next is Adam and Eve are in the garden and um, God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent comes along and the serpent talks to Eve and the serpent says, did God really say you're not going to die? Like he, he just planted some doubt in Eve's mind. And as you know, the story goes that, that Eve ate from the fruit and then she shared it with Adam and Adam ate from the fruit. And they realized that they'd done the wrong thing and they hid in the garden. God discovers what they'd done and you know how the story goes from there. They were cast out of the garden and they had to fend from themselves. 
I want to ask you this question. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but I often think to myself, did God know in advance that they were going to mess up? Did he know that they were going to disobey and mess up and just ruin his plans? I wonder. I really do. I, I think if he is the Alpha and the Omega, if he is the beginning and the end, then he probably did know. He probably did know that they were going to mess up all along. How crazy, and he still went ahead with it. It's like that, um, you know, um, those sort of action movies where the, um, the hero's there, and he suddenly everything slows down in time, and he's about to fight the baddies, and he sees the baddies moving in slow motion, and he makes all these calculations about how he's going to counter all their efforts. So he's going to get the rolling pin, donk, you're gone. You know, boot this way, and then the lampshade falls on the other guy, and he just waltzes through the whole thing. And he plans it all out in advance, and it's all fine. I think if I was God, don't worry, I'll look after you guys, if I am. I'll just say yes to all of your prayers. Um, but if I was God, I'd probably figure out a way of walling everything off, putting a giant wall around that tree of knowledge so that nobody gets hurt. It's just going to be fine. You don't have to be tempted by that tree and everyone's going to be safe. But that's not love, is it? That's not true love. That's just like control. That's making somebody do the right thing. And to God, He wanted reciprocation. He wanted to love and He wanted to be loved in return. Can you see the difference? One's just like making you do the right thing. The other one is actually giving you the choice to do the right thing. It's giving you the choice to love in return. And that's what God wanted and wants from all of us. That God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. You just... Allow those words to sink deep into your soul today. God, the very core of God is love. It's not control. It's not manipulation. It's not harsh. It's not judgmental. It's love. If the very core of God, if He's made of love, then nothing can come out of Him except for love. God is love and His heart for you is only love. Only love. Nothing else. This is my final point today, and I can invite the musicians to come forward as well. The God is holy. He's a holy God. There were consequences for Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. He didn't just say, oh, guys, honestly. Okay, tell you what, we'll just start over. No one saw that happen. We'll just start again and pretend it didn't happen. He didn't say that. He was like, I can't imagine God, like his shoulders sagging. Like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew it. And yet he still went ahead. But he had a plan. He wasn't removing himself. God's holiness is not removing himself so far away from us because we're disgusting and we're unclean and we're unholy. He actually, from the very beginning, I believe, had a plan. Ephesians 1 verse 5. 
God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Wanting to bring us close. He wants to bring you close today. He wants to bring you close. Yes, he is a holy God. And he's worked it out. He was prepared to not compromise his holiness. He didn't want to compromise what holiness meant, what purity meant, what goodness meant. So he formulated a plan of rescue. He formulated a way to not only remain holy, but instead of coming down and being unholy, he decided that he would send his son instead. He formulated a way to pay for our sin, to pay the way so that we could be reunited once again. Isn't that incredible? Okay, so we, on the face of it, we should be responsible for our sin, shouldn't we? If we did the deed, we should pay for it. We should sort it out. But he said, no, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will make a way and I will sacrifice my only son who is pure and without sin so that you can come into relationship with me. I don't know about you, but that tells me that my Father in heaven is a God of love. There can be no other reason, no other explanation, but our Father in heaven is a God of love, that He loved you so dearly that He was willing to sacrifice His one and only Son. 